Hi, and welcome to the Genesis Podcast. We're so glad to be able to bring a small portion of our community to you through this medium and hope that you'll join us in our endeavor to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. If you would like to know more about who we are as a community, as well as when and where we meet, you can visit us online at thegenesisstory.com. Also, if you have benefited from this podcast in any way or would like to participate in what we're doing here at Genesis, would you consider partnering with us by donating online again at www.thegenesisstory.com. There you can select the giving tab and how you would like to contribute to the general fund or even to the building fund. Remember, we can do more together than we can ever do alone. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. God bless. Thanks, Brian and Nikki boy. Uh, appreciate you guys. And gosh, Randy, I appreciate that last song. That was powerful. I really love it. Hope you do it again. Um, Gosh, I am so moved uh, already this morning with you guys. Um, seeing online, Colleen, you're in bed and you're here with us. Appreciate that. Uh, Alex, I know you lost your grandfather. You're here with us. Love you. Heart goes out to you and the family. And you're here with us. Beth, you just lost your mom and you're here with us. And I'm just humbled by all of you and your desire to be family and grow. And it is our desire to be connected to you. And I pray that what we offer to all of you this morning is going to be helpful. Uh, I do want our time together, even through this media medium, to be something that can enrich our lives, be not only informative, but help us in the time that we're living in and the troubles that we see around us. Uh, We are going to be talking about this again tonight on Take Two at 5 o'clock on Instagram Live. I forgot to mention that to Brian, but you guys hope you can join us this evening as well as we talk about this. And this morning I'm going to talk to us. I'm going to talk to us. I'm going to talk to you. Maybe I'll talk to me too. Um, I'm going to talk to you about anxiety medicine an extra-dimensional thought experiment, Susanna, Josephus, and Idras, and a guy named Wayne. So remember, Daniel had a dream, and, and instead of interpreting it for someone else, he needed it to be interpreted for him. Because we are in chapter 7, by the way. We were there last week, but we're going to finish it up this week. And we've seen in chapters 1 through 6, we've looked at this pagan empire and then the people of God, the, the kingdoms of the world and the kingdom of God, the attempt to control people, the people of God specifically, so that they can then continue in their power unchallenged. Recently, I was at a lesson doing some dog training, and I was talking to the person who I was, you know, having the lesson with and just asked them how they're doing through all this. And they just shared how they're just so filled with anxiety that they're now taking their anxiety medicine, and they haven't done that for a long time, but they just need to do it at this time. And I totally understand that. If you too are in that situation, hey, Do what needs to be done so that you can get through this because we see 
At the very beginning of this, in verse 15, Daniel says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. The things that he saw in this dream caused anxiety in him. And I think that is human. I think the world that we're living in right now with the COVID-19 should make us anxious. I think the world we're living in right now with the, the political divisiveness that's taking place in our country should make us anxious. I, I think the racial tension and divide and, and the the violence that's erupting in so many ways and on so many levels should make us anxious. If you are a human, it is going to affect you. And I'm so glad to know that Daniel felt in some way the way I do sometimes or if not all the time. That anxiety is something that happens when you live in this world. Now, I know there are verses that say, don't be anxious about anything. And that's our goal to lean into God so that that anxiety will be dealt with. But it's not wrong to feel anxious. It's telling you something is going on. And we have to address it and move towards it to get through it. Continues in verse 16, Daniel says, I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever and ever. Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the 10 horns that were on its head and the other horn that came up from before, which three of them fell the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them until the ancient of days came and judgment was given for the saints of the most high. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. So Daniel says, I wanna know about this and hey, I want to know about this too, because this is some wild stuff that's going on. Now, remember that this is a description of really what we've been seeing in the last chapters. This is the typical uh, arrogant human empires, right? That are exalting themselves, building great statues, demanding worship, uh, trampling anything that's underfoot that is in their way self-serving, power-hungry, using people for selfish gain, self-preservation is part of the human institution. Paul would tell us in Philippians chapter one, it's true that some here preach Christ because with me out of the way, they think they'll step right into the spotlight, but the others do it with heart in the world. One group is motivated by pure love, knowing that I am here defending the message, wanting to help. The others 
now that I am out of the picture, are merely greedy, hoping to get something out for themselves, right? So there is always people trying to do things for themselves. And we're seeing this picture in Daniel's dream and in the other dreams that King Nebuchadnezzar had. And in this world, Jesus said, you are going to have tribulation. Even though we see here in history again and again, there is going to be trouble, we see that God is vindicating those that are his people. He has overcome the world. And I think I really want to know what that means. I want to know what does that look like? Here we have a picture of God overcoming kind of a court scene where he's, you know, pronouncing judgment on this fourth image and all its bizarreness and helping those who are the people of God. And just as the beast represents nations, the human figure, the son of man, represents the people of the Most High. In fact, there's a, a shift that takes place that we're going to look at here in a bit. Let's continue reading verse 23. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it to pieces. No wonder Daniel is anxious, right? This picture is horrific. As for the 10 horns out of this kingdom, 10 kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half a time. But the court shall sit in judgment uh, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed, but I kept the heart matter in my heart. What I think is interesting and so human is how we always seem to gravitate to seeing things in a certain light, seeing ourselves as being, say, the, the people of God or this vision, this apocalyptic vision as being for our time. The Pharisees did it also as they sneered at those who were in league with Rome. And, and they saw themselves as the people of God in, in this chapter. When they would look at Daniel 7, they saw themselves as the people of God being spoken about here, as being the saints of the Most High. And so anyone who was a part of Rome or in league with Rome, they saw as part of this beast and this enemy. 
But then there was the, the Qumran who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls, and they didn't much like the Pharisees or the Roman Empire, and they thought they should be running the temple as they saw the Pharisees corrupt and actually working with Rome, right? And so in their mind and in their interpretation, they saw themselves as the saints of the Most High, and they saw the others as being in league. And many in Jesus' day, when they would read Daniel 7, thought that they were the ones being vindicated. And I think that's true for many of us still today. I shared last week about how I had heard this passage and it had to do with the European Union and the the 10 nations, which are now, I think, 27 or something like that. But everyone looks at it and wants to apply it to themselves and everyone wants to to be those those people that are being vindicated. Everyone wants to be an association with those who are good. There's another interesting point of development that takes place leading to the time of Christ and to this thought about the saints in this chapter. And I want to lean into how people interpret Scripture and how this passage specifically has been looked at throughout history. But first, I want to talk to you about a book that was written by Edmund Edmund Abbott. Okay, there's a tongue twister. It was called Flatland, A Romance of Many Dimensions. And it's an extra-dimensional thought experiment. What he does is he speaks first of these people who are called to live in line land. And line land, if you conceive of it, is one dimension. It's called length. You can only move in one direction and it's forward. And these line landers, that's the only world they know is this line that's moving in this direction. And then you have this other group of people that are called flatlanders. And now they can move sideways because you've added breadth to length. And so they have this dual dimension life that they're living in. But then there is this mystical, magical place called Spaceland. And now you can move not only forwards and sideways, but you can move up and down. But it's very hard for Linelanders and Flatlanders to conceive of anything above or below because they can't look up. They don't know how to look in the directions and why would they? In their minds, they don't even exist. And so then an extra dimensional being comes into the story. He comes into the story and what's happening here is he starts to try and explain what's happening in these worlds. You don't know what space is. You think it is one dimension or two dimensions only, but I have come to announce to you a third dimension. I'm telling you there is more than what meets the eye. There's more than you can conceive, and I'm from there trying to explain it to you. And of course, we see this story being a picture of Christ and ourselves. 
And our perception determines our vision and the understanding that we will have. It's how it is. It's how it's always been. I have heard and have taught and been so focused in this chapter on the beasts and the fourth image that I think I've missed the whole point of this chapter sometimes. The focus in Daniel is echoed in some of the Psalms, in Isaiah, and other of the prophets, that God is the ruler of heaven and earth. And instead of heaven being a place up there and earth being a place down here, they are meant to dwell together. God is the God of heaven and earth. The New Testament writers speak about a new heaven and a new earth. Now, we can see why there needs to be a new earth, right? There's evidence of why all around us. Why does there need to be a new heaven? What if they are actually so connected you cannot have a new one without the other? Even as they asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? He said, the greatest commandment is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the other is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, that's two commandments, right? No, you can't have the one without the other. It's one commandment contained in these two. Love God, heaven, love your neighbor, earth. Maybe heaven and earth isn't the dimensional difference that we think it is. Maybe there is a connection that is taking place that we need to start seeing. We have to realize where we are living and that maybe heaven is in some place away from us. Maybe it's dimensionally nearer to us than we can imagine. And maybe because they cannot be separated, maybe we have this idea of living in flatland instead of spaceland, right? We are living in a dimensional world that we don't see at all. And so we make decisions or think of things in a limited way. Maybe we we see our world around us in a flatland way. And there's another way to see things that we need to be open to. A significant transition takes place in chapter seven verses or chapters one through six. We are told that there is a God in heaven who is overall. But in chapter seven, we are told that the people of the saints of the most high in the form of this one, like the son of man are now somehow sharing the very kingdom of God. And this is huge because this is now including people in the work of God, that God is going to reign, but now it is with these people. So it's not just God doing something. God is doing something now with this group of people. And that's why it's so significant. The one like the son of man comes into the picture. The human one is now a part of this picture and it brings with it this group of people. How was Daniel read during the first century? Leading up to the time of Christ, during the time of Christ, and shortly after. 
How did they see this book? How did the church interpret this chapter? How did the religious people see this work? I'm going to start with a book called the Book of Susanna. It was a Jewish book written in the last century BC, and it brings this thought into light. It is a book from the Apocrypha, and it's called this as it also adds to the book of Daniel. In other words, the book of Susanna brings Daniel into the book itself. And it was also a part of the translation in the Septuagint. In other words, the the book of Susanna was included in the Septuagint. The Septuagint was a Greek translation of the Hebrew Aramaic scriptures that the first century would use. Those who spoke Greek would use the Septuagint to study the Old Testament, right? The Hebrew scriptures. And this is a part of that book. In the book of Susanna, we have the story of a Jewish woman who is being spied on lustfully by two Jewish leaders. She is being accused of immorality, and it is Daniel, whose name appears here in the book, and remember Daniel's name means God who judges, who is being called on to decide the case and find out who's right, this woman or these Jewish leaders, And what he does is he trips up the two accusers and finds them to be in the wrong. And we see here that there is a closer look at what could be meant in the interpretation of the book of Daniel itself, that these beasts, these pagan empires, were no longer just about nationality and could be interpreted to include these religious leaders that people who are Israelites but are not in line with the truth that God is declaring. The question then was, who are these holy people? The people of the Most High? Or or who is the one like the Son of Man? And then who are these beasts representative? It's not just nations, not just kings, but of people who are opposing these other people. Is it a single person? Is it a group of people? Who exactly is Daniel talking about? And then we have another writer, more well-known, Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian where he wrote and kept record, history record for the Jewish people, but then he went over and started working for the Roman government. They recognized how talented he was, talented he was, and they actually hired him. He had a pension with the Roman government, which didn't sit well with the Jewish people. But then what he started doing is writing history for the Romans, including that which was happening for or in Jerusalem or for the Jews. And he was there through the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s, writing all the things that were happening And he wrote a book called The Antiquities of the Jews. It was mimicking a book that was called Antiquities of the Romans, where he was dealing with the things of history concerning the Jewish people. And he was telling their stories through their scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures. And when he gets to Daniel, he says that he not only told us, Daniel not only told us 
about what was going to happen, but when it was going to happen, which we'll see in chapter 9. And when he gets to certain passages, it's interesting. He is so involved, so dynamic, telling so much detail. But then in certain places, he gets suspiciously vague. He gets quiet compared to the rest of the book. In chapter 2, for example, he goes into such detail about the head of gold, the arms of silver, the brass plate, and the legs of iron. And he's talking all about these empires and and the meaning of the book of Daniel. But then when he gets to the, the stone not cut with human hands that comes, destroys them all, and fills the whole earth, he's just kind of like, okay, and we'll move along. He, he doesn't get into any detail, and it's noticeably different. And it's like, well, why? It's as if it was insignificant. Remember, he's now writing for a Roman audience. And he didn't want to say that this text was about a Jewish Messiah who would come destroy the wicked pagan kingdoms and set up a new kingdom. You see, that wouldn't sit well with his new employer. And so the things that would stand out as opposition, he became very quiet about. In chapter 7, Josephus is all about silent because everyone in the first century Rome knows that that fourth beast is Rome and that the Son of Man is clearly the Messiah. And remember now, Josephus writing after the time of Christ talking about a Messiah who people are saying Jesus is, it's not going to sit well. And so he becomes extremely quiet about it. In fact, his silence is telling a lot, right? His silence is speaking volume on volumes on what's happening. And Josephus also wrote about why the Jewish people tried to revolt against Rome in 70 AD, right? He wrote, What drove them, the Jews, to revolt was an oracle in their scriptures, which said that at the time, a world ruler would arise from Judea. At that time comes from the chronological events in Daniel chapter 9 that we're going to come to later. But the idea of a world ruler coming from Judea is Daniel chapter 2 and here in chapter 7. And this is how the book of Daniel was being read at the time of Christ and the church, that all these kingdoms would arise, would rant, rage, and then a king, a Messiah, would arise and put an end to them all. That's why they revolted. That's why Rome came down on them and leveled the city, burned the temple to the ground. We know that history. The Messiah was to come, put an end to them. Psalm 2 and other passages like Isaiah 11 say similar things, that this Messiah, this king, is going to make all these things right. We then have another writer, Idros, another book written after the destruction of the temple, after AD 70. And he writes about the times and dreams and similar, in a similar manner to Daniel. In other words, he writes about these dreams that he is having, this apocalyptic disclosure and revelation of what's happening. 
that are similar to Daniel, and he is wondering what now is going to take place, right? We we believe that the Messiah was going to come and was going to stop this, but now Rome has come down and destroyed us. How do we deal with this now? How, How do we live through this? Where is our hope? Where is this Messiah that we've been waiting for? And in his dream, he writes about an eagle and a lion, and there's no doubt who is who. The eagle represents Rome. It was part of their insignia, especially in their army. Lion is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Israel's Messiah is coming from there. And in Idras 12, he directly connects his writing to Daniel's, and this is what he says. He says, the angel who is interpreting the vision to the one who is called Ezra says, The eagle that you saw coming up from the sea is the fourth kingdom that appeared in a vision to your brother Daniel. But it was not explained to him what I now explain to you or have explained it. In other words, you didn't get the whole story. Yeah, we thought it was going to go this way, but I'm going to tell you more. The days are coming, he says, when a kingdom will arise on the earth more terrifying than the others. Twelve kings will arise one after another. But then when the lion comes and rages against the eagle, he will roar and speak to the eagle and reprove him for his unrighteousness. This is the Messiah whom the Most High has kept until the end of days, who will arise from the offspring of David. And he, in his mercy, will set free the remnant of my people, those who have been saved. There is a grasping to see how things are when they are not what you thought they should be. You know, we we had in mind that this was how it was going to play out, but it's not playing out. So let's write a different story. Let's write it and it just kind of pushes things further along. And I've noticed this happens a lot when people are talking about the end times. It's like, or anything that's, you know, I don't know, cataclysmic. It's like, okay, this is what's going to happen. And then when it doesn't happen, oh, this is when it's going to happen. And we just keep pushing it back, pushing it back, pushing it back. If you listen to anyone who talks about end times things a lot, and you listen to what they said 10 years ago, you'll find out that what they said 10 years ago is not happened yet, and they just kept going. They didn't stop and say, you know what, I was wrong. That whole 10 nation things, it's not true. But they'll just go on and explain something else, and they just keep moving the carrot in front of the nose, right? It just keeps going along, going along. And it's because people are trying to hold on to something. We've got to have this hope. We've got to have something that we can hold on to here. That's what Idras is doing. That's what the books of Chronicles actually are doing in our scriptures. You ever wonder why we have Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles all together and they're so similar? In the Hebrew Bible, the book of Chronicles, which is one book, not two, but it was so long we made it two books, is actually written after the prophets. And the reason is because the the book of Chronicles is written during exile. And so what we see in Samuel and Kings is a lot of talk about David, a lot of promotion of the king. And in Chronicles, we see that played down. Why? Because now what do we do? Our our king is gone. 
our kingdom is gone, but our faith is still here. How do we have faith now that the kingdom is gone? How do we maintain and hold on to this when things have happened in this way? We weren't expecting this. We thought David and his descendants would be on the throne forever, and it's not the case. So the book of Chronicles continues to make faith relevant through the time that they're living in. I think that's what we do. I think that's human nature, to try and find something we can hold on to when things don't go the way we want them to. When when things don't play out the way I thought they should have, I, I want to find out what's going on. Some years ago, I was working at a church and all of a sudden into my mind came a name of a guy I used to work with when I worked at a lumber company. And his name was Wayne. And Wayne had issues. Wayne was a drug addict. And I hadn't thought about Wayne for years. And all of a sudden Wayne's name came up in my mind. And I wondered, how's Wayne doing? I know he went to some rehab program, was gotten involved, but... After that, he kind of slipped back into drugs and just out of the blue, Wayne came to mind. And then the next day, I saw Colleen and Colleen says, hey, I ran into a guy. He said he used to work with you. His name was Wayne. And I'm like, right, it's one of those moments where it's like, even like we talk about this mysterious connection of the universe thing where, okay, what are the odds that this person I haven't thought about for years comes to my mind the next day, someone tells me that they saw him. And so I'm thinking this is a God thing and I still think it is a God thing, right? And so I'm thinking, well, great, talk to Wayne, tell him I'd love to talk to him. And so she does and I end up getting together and talking to Wayne and I'm thinking, this is great. And I ask Wayne, how are you doing, man? And he's not doing good, right? He's still on crack. In fact, he's selling it, he's using it, bad and he's involved with a lot of bad bad things i mean he he's basically pimping out people and it's ugly and i start talking to him and i'm thinking you know wayne god brought you into my mind and brought you here because now something is going to happen i'm i'm going to see your life change i'm going to see it turn around and i was expecting this but that didn't happen Wayne didn't turn around. Wayne told me to my face, you know, I know everything that you're saying is right. I know that the ways of God are true. I know that what I'm doing is wrong, but I'm just not going to give it up. I don't want to. That wasn't what I expected. It's like, okay, God, this is what I was expecting. This is what you were doing. And Wayne later came to me about a month later and he said, you know, I have tested and I am HIV positive and I'm going to go move out of state and live with my brother because it's not looking good for me. And I'm just like, God, this wasn't supposed to go this way. This wasn't supposed to happen like this. I I was expecting a, a great end of the story and this isn't what I expected. And so we see that these writings of Josephus, Idros, and O Susanna, I had to say that, are how this book of Daniel was being read at the time of Christ and by the church. And now when we look at the Gospels, what we find is another vision of the Son of Man who is coming to the Ancient of Days. We see it in Mark 13, 14. 
We see it also in Luke, Matthew 24. Jesus is seen as the one who would cut through all the forces of darkness and reign forever and ever. Jesus says to Caiaphas, the religious leader in Mark 14, 62, you will see the son of man seated on the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus is combining Psalm 110 with Daniel 7 in order to say, like whoever wrote Susanna, that you, the Jewish leaders, are now no better than another pagan empire. And maybe you are the arrogant horn that is being spoken about here in Daniel. You will see me vindicated. And we see in Matthew and Luke's gospel, it's written, from now on, you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. And we see that in Matthew 29, 18, when he says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Daniel seven fourteen says, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. All this, Susanna, Josephus, Idras, all this to say that when the New Testament writing is coming about, that these things, they were saying that this is written here in Daniel was fulfilled here in Jesus when he died on the cross. That was the great monster making war against the Holy One. And in the resurrection, we see the victory. This is the time when the people of the saints most high receive the kingdom, that the kingdom, which is God's and only God's, is now being shared with one like the sun, the stone that was cut out of the mountain, the human one, who represents the people of the Most High. And now the temple of the Holy Ghost is the dwelling place in our hearts. This is the interpretation of Daniel 7 by Jesus and his followers. Maybe it's not what we expected. I I wanted victory. I, I wanted this to come with a a triumph with a sword i wanted to see a vindication looks like what i think it should look like but it came like sacrifice came like crucifixion and it's fully in line really with the other jewish writings and interpretations at the time it didn't happen the way they thought it was but it still happened And except for this, right, Josephus and Idras would have seen the text in the form of a victory war, right? Messiah, the lion against Rome, the eagle. And now we have the victory being won on a cross. And the resurrection announces a different sort of vindication. And it's interesting because Daniel ends much as he started with anxiety, Right, He says, my spirit within me was anxious and the vision of my head alarmed me. I want to read verse 28 from Amplified Version when he says, here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my waking thoughts troubled and alarmed me much and my cheerfulness of countenance was changed in me. But I kept the matter in my heart and mind. I'm worried about 
our cheerfulness of countenance. I'm worried about how we feel about the time we're living in and the trouble and anxiety we have and the desperation and how things aren't playing out maybe like we wanted them to. And we are looking for, oh, God's going to come and conquer and God's going to do this and not recognizing that God already has. You see, this is the heart of this point, people. This is what I want us to see more than anything. And, and I'm sorry if it was a labor to go through this kind of historical through the weeds thing, but we have to get to a place where we understand the way they saw the book of Daniel was not something that was going to happen in the future. It is something that happened on the cross that is done that God has already vindicated the people of God. We are not waiting for something else to happen. It has already happened. What we are trying to do now is live in what has happened so that it will manifest in the world around us because God is creating a new heaven and a new earth and he is doing it with the people of God. And we are participants in this. You know, it's easy to untie a one-dimensional knot if you're living in a second dimension. And it's easy to untie a two-dimensional knot if you're living in a three-dimensional world. Can we comprehend that there is a God able to make all things new? A God who is able to untie the knots of this politically, racially divided world. A God who is able to untie the knots of the human trafficking, women abusing, PTSD, traumatized, heartbroken world. Are we able to see that there is a God in a dimension that is still at work in the crap all around us that is able to make all things new right here, right now? Don't lose hope. Victory is present. It's present in you. It's present in me. It is present in those who belong to Christ and will walk in the ways of Christ who think victory looks like sacrifice instead of conquering. What would happen to our political world if we really sought to serve instead of win? What if we stopped trying to gain power and tried to empower those who need it? What would happen to the world if we actually loved our neighbor as ourself and showed it? not just with words, but with deed, a faith that is alive, a faith that was powerful. What would happen? I want to see what would happen. I believe it will happen and I believe it happens in us and I believe it happens through us. And I'm not going to give in to the temptation to align myself like Josephus with the powers that are in hopes that it will change when things need to, I'm going to believe in the power that is there present in the love of God that transformed me, that transforms you, that is able to transform this world. It is what we need and we have to live in it. And let's face it, it is not an easy task. It's not simple. 
it's cloudy. I'm still living in this dimension where things don't make a lot of sense. But I believe what Daniel saw and I believe what Jesus says and I believe that the kingdom of God is here. In our midst, it is near and we can take hold of it and we can live as if it is our kingdom because it has been given to us. Now we have to live as if it is the reality of our lives. Let's pray. Father, it is not easy to get past what we perceive, to see beyond what we are told and and hear and see around us. It's not easy to believe that all power in heaven and earth has been given to you when it seems like it's being given to so many people that we don't really like or appreciate or, or see doing things the way we would like them to be done. And like Daniel, Lord, I find myself being anxious. I find myself troubled. I find myself with a lack of cheerfulness of countenance where the world is weighing on me, weighing on my brothers, my sisters. When I hear people sharing, they're afraid of what is happening and what will happen. Lord, may we have the eyes of faith that allow us to see beyond the dimensions that are so present around us. May we see the new heaven and the new earth and may we live as if it is present, even as you did, Jesus, even as you told us to live. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May that be the reality of our life daily. And God, I pray for strength. I I pray for my family, Lord, who is struggling, those who are ill, for Colleen, who is sick, for Alex and Beth who have lost loved ones, Lord. For my sister who wrote me and said she is afraid even of her brothers and sisters because of how they believe. Lord, I pray for courage and strength to lean into you when the wind is blowing us in so many directions. Lord, to have faith that you have won. The victory is ours in Christ. We are vindicated. May we live that way, Lord. May through us you bring about the change this world needs as you have given and shared it with your people, Lord. May we strive to be people who are worthy of your name. Name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Randy.
I love and miss you guys so much. And I, I pray that through this difficult time, you would extend yourself instead of seclude. That you would love your enemy. Right? Go out and give a hug. Well, you can't, but virtually. Um, to the person you disagree with, pray for them, bless them. The person who you are in opposition with, extend grace, mercy, peace. Bring about the kingdom of heaven here. We need it now more than ever. May you not try to prove you're right. May you live right and prove that God is true. And may you have a cheerfulness of countenance given to you by faith and the one who has overcome on the cross and has been resurrected in our hearts, making us part of this new creation. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Love you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.